The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 14. And we'll focus on verse 31. We'll read a little bit more. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of the Lord's word? Let's back up to verse 28 of Luke chapter 14. The letters are in red, so it's Jesus speaking and teaching. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 warriors to meet who who comes against him with 20,000 warriors? Or who else, while the other is still a great way off, sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot become my disciple. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word today. Let's be seated. Thank you. So the beginning of this week, I was in a retreat with our missions and ministry staff in New Orleans. We enjoyed some time away planning and strategizing and We enjoyed a Pelicans game and some good food. It was not all work and no play. There was a little play. But as an assignment for the retreat, all of our staff, about nine of us in the WMU and disaster relief and missions and church planting, we were all given the same assignment to write a 10-minute devotional on Luke 14.31. Now, I saw the assignment and didn't have time to write the devotional, but I thought to myself as a seasoned preacher, well, that won't be too difficult. You take a verse, you put three or four thoughts down and turn in the assignment. And then when it came to the time to look at the verse, I thought, well, I better pay attention to this a little bit longer because the verse that I read for us in Luke 14, 31, by itself is kind of hard to understand. And I think that was the point of the assignment. In Luke 14, 31, if you don't have anything else, it seems a little incomplete, but it's the word of Jesus. And so there's got to be a truth there. And I'm happy to say that I found something that I think you and you and I can benefit from here. Not just the assignment, but it makes for good preaching as well. So to reread for 31, it says this. What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who he who comes against him with 20,000? What is that talking about? Making war and... Well, when you read it in a bigger context, it starts to make a little bit of sense because when you get down to the next verse, there's this matter of talking about peace. When I think of peace, I think of my grandson. Have I mentioned my grandson before? I'm sure I have. Grandparents talk about their grandsons. I have a grandson who's five that lives in Austin, and his name is Sean. And Sean is a derivative of an Indian word, Shanti, which means peace. His dad is Indian, and so... They came up with the name Sean from the Indian word Shanti that means 
peace. Well, this grandson at five years old is absolutely living his name. He doesn't know he's doing it, but he is living his name. He always wants to get everybody together. He always wants to know who's at the party. He wants to know whose birthday is next and can I come. Valentine's Day, he said to my wife, what do I do on Valentine's Day? And we talked about making a Valentine for his mom and he's contemplating that. He wants to be a person of peace and he doesn't even know that he's doing it. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the Beatitudes and he said, blessed are the peacemakers That whole tone of the word peacemaker is a different connotation of the word. Basically, Jesus was saying, blessed are those who wage peace, who go to battle to bring peace. Now, in one way, that doesn't make sense, but in the way of Jesus, it does. In other words, a peacemaker is one who's assertively looking to bring peace in any situation. And so when Jesus is talking about war... You read on down through the verse, he's talking about a war that concludes with peace. And so today I want to share with us four thoughts from the passage about this matter of waging peace, of going into battle to bring peace. First of all, it's important to remember that we are in a war. And if you wondered about who we're battling against, Just turn on the Grammys of last weekend and you won't have any... By the way, don't do that. You've seen enough of it already. But if you had any doubt as to whether or not Satan is our enemy, all you have to do is look at popular Hollywood on the television. And the blatant disregard for the things of God as satanic rituals of worship were displayed at the Grammys on national television for all the world to see. And as egregious as that act was, it was additionally egregious that everybody in the room stood by and standing ovation applauded. Nobody walked out. Nobody turned away. It was business as usual as this offensive satanic ritual was performed for all the world to see. One of my friends said it this way. Why would you be surprised? Why would you be surprised? Because Satan's motivation in life is to seek and to kill and destroy, to devour. He roams around like a roaring lion, seeing who he can destroy, who he can devour. And the more in retreat mode we are as the Christian community, the more emboldened he becomes to the point where he delivers his message through Sam Smith and a transgender person and to a raucous applause on Sunday night. We are in a battle. It is a war. It is a war against Satan himself. The number one motivation of Satan in the world is to keep people from the kingdom of God, to keep people trapped in a lifestyle, in an apathy, in an indifference, in a motivation based on the pleasures of the world that are far away from the things of God. And every soul that he captures from the hand of Jesus is a win for him. And so you and I, as the ministry of the church, have the responsibility to be in the battle with Satan. By the way, the number two motivation of Satan is to see that, defeat, that Christians live defeated. 
that Christians live discouraged, that lose their testimony or have no testimony or have no motivation to be in the war, to be in the battle against Satan. We are in a battle. We are in a war. And Satan would love nothing more than to tell the Christian community to huddle inside your church houses, shut out all the blinds, turn off all the lights, and stay in here and have no impact of the gospel in the world. As long as we're in here, he's fine with us because we're not affecting any change in the world around us. But you and I both know that there are friends, there are neighbors, there are co-workers, there are strangers around us who are mired in the apathy of a life far from God, not satanic ritual level, but just indifferent to the things of God. And it's just the same. Whether you are performing satanic rituals or just not interested in the things of God, the, the end is the same. It is a destiny of living a life that Satan would be pleased with for the time of eternity unless rescued by the message of the gospel. We are in a war. But here's the good news, as doomsaying as that message is. The good news, secondly, is this. We are in a war, we can win. We can win. In fact, we are compelled to win this war. When I go to retreats, we sit down in retreat time and we get data and statistics about the number of Christians, the number of evangelicals, and the number of lost people in our country, in our state, and around the world. And which the motivation of the data is to get in the game and get in the fight and get in the battle to win more for Christ. But it has a discouraging effect because the few who are born again against the many who are not born again is a huge number. But here's the good news. With Jesus in the battle with us, we can win. The message of the gospel can overcome satanic rituals and Satan himself at every turn. In fact, he has already defeated Satan, but he has allowed him to roam around the land so that people will have a choice to choose Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought that he had won. When Jesus died... But Jesus came out of the grave on Easter Sunday morning, somebody say amen, and conquered sin and death in the grave so that you and I believing in that and the message of the gospel can have the victory with Jesus. Not only can you and I have the victory with Jesus, we can deliver the victory of Jesus to those around us who are hurting, to those around us who are marred in sin in apathy and indifference and struggling with this life as it is. Jesus and the power of the gospel can overcome sickness. Jesus and the power of the gospel can overcome disease. Jesus and the power of the gospel can overcome relationships. Jesus and the gospel can overcome anything. My other grandson had his one-year-old birthday yesterday. And my daughter made a big to-do and invited several friends. It was a big deal and Grandson did surprisingly well for one years old with all of the attention focused him. But at the party were some high school friends of hers that nine years ago I was invited to do their wedding. They're college educated. He's an engineer. She's a nurse. But before the wedding, they moved in together. And you know, to be honest with you, I was a little objectionable to getting involved in a 
couple that was living together before marriage. That's not my values. And my daughter, who was their friend, came alongside me and gave me some simple counsel. Well, you'll never have a chance to influence them if you refuse to get involved in their lives. She was about 22 at the time. And so on the, on the counsel of my daughter, I entertained and delivered the wedding at Jefferson Island. It was a beautiful scene. We were there recently as just remembering that wedding. It was a beautiful wedding. But here's the rest of the story. Nine years later at that party yesterday, the husband and wife with a five-year-old and a three-year-old began to tell me how many times they think of Brother Jeff when they think of their wedding and how many times they think of that union and how special it was to be in their lives. And then they began to talk about their church membership and how they had found themselves at Bayou Baptist Church and their children are in Sunday school every Sunday. And she's telling me the lessons that the children are learning and how much they're learning of the word, of the word in that church. You see, when you get involved in people's lives and love them towards Jesus, it's not my responsibility to sit them down in a church and make them be where. It's the Lord and the Holy Spirit's responsibility to complete the work that was begun at Jefferson Island by getting involved in their lives. And even though their relationship started poorly, it's ending well. The gospel can overcome a bad start in a relationship in a marriage. The gospel can overcome relationships within your family. The gospel can overcome difficulty in school and work. The gospel can overcome a neighbor that's unruly at the party yesterday. The neighbors across the street are doing drugs and screaming and hollering and the police are calling. In fact, I'll just pause and tell you this funny story. Did you hear the story about the 12 monkeys that were stolen from the zoo? Did you hear about that? So the couple across the street from the house of the party, he reported to the police that she had stolen the monkeys. And the SWAT team showed up on my friend's street with lights and sirens and commando vehicles. Come to find out it wasn't true, but they were out to get those monkeys back. (laughs) Chaos. That's what Satan does. He stirs it up and stirs it around and keeps people discouraged and confused. But dear friend in Christ, the gospel can overcome all the matters of chaos that Satan will throw at the world. And you know someone who needs to hear the gospel. A friend, a family member, a husband, a wife, a neighbor, a stranger who needs to hear the gospel. And it is not your responsibility to bring them all the way to completion in the baptistry water. It's your responsibility to tell the solution to life. It is absolutely the solution to life. The good news that Jesus died on the cross was buried and resurrected and came back to life so that if you will believe in that, you can be saved and be out of the claws and grips of Satan himself. We are in a war. We are in a war we can win. When Jesus told the parable, he said, what king with 10,000 goes to war with 20,000 without making a negotiation? When he was telling that, I couldn't help but think that he was remembering from his father's Uh, the kingdom on the throne, remembering the story of Gideon and the army he collected. It's a great story in the Old Testament. Gideon was to go a war against the Amalekites and the Midianites, I think it was. He had 10,000 in his army against a bigger army. And God said, you have too many in your army. 
And so he gave some conditions and about half of them went home. Half of them again and whittled the army down just to a few thousand. And then God said, go tell them to drink at the creek. And so they did. And most of them lapped like a dog. But 300 lapped with their hand up, with their eyes looking around. And God said, that's your army. 300 against so many. Then he gave Gideon a strategy. In the middle of the night, he said, get clay jars and put your light under the jar to hide it. And get a trumpet. And in the middle of the night, go down in the valley when they're all asleep. And one, two, three, blow the trumpets as loud as you can. Break the clay jars and flash the light and scare them out of the camp. And ran them off and captured all of the camp with 300. What's the point of that story? God doesn't need 10,000. He doesn't need 20,000. He needs the committed to him. That's a message to the church. We are the 300 if we're equipped and ready to go into the battle and win people to Jesus. It's a war we can win against Satan. And it's a war that we must win. We must win. We are called to win the souls of many. You mentioned last week about Vacation Bible School. It is an important tool to win the very small while hearts are malleable to the message of Jesus and the relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope every one of you who can will participate in Vacation Bible School as a springboard to the rest of the summer to be able to win some children to Christ and win their families to Christ and rescue them before they get mired in the satanic influences of the day and every other possibility of a means of the church to be able to use the tool to reach people for Jesus. We are in a war we must win. We are in a war that comes from doing battle while we do the work of the ministry. Do not be discouraged in this interim time as a church. I have been asked about you as a church and I would tell you that you're a capable bunch well-trained to be equipped to be doing the work of the ministry. There's a credit to your previous pastor and you for learning to do the work of the ministry. And a leader's coming. Sooner or later, a leader's coming. But the truth of it is, regardless of whether there's a permanent man standing at this pulpit, Jesus is the leader of the church. And, and the pastor follows the leadership of Jesus as he leads the church. So Jesus hadn't left. He's right here leading you. And in the interim time, it's your place, it's your calling to do the work of the ministry. As the brother sang a moment ago, Brother Emmett Emmett sang a moment ago, it's important to practice the ministry of show up. When I was pastoring down the bayou in Plaquemine, in my first church, there was a man and wife came to church for a while, and Joe was his name, and Joe was a tall, tall drink of water and had that deep Cajun voice. He came to me one day and he said, Brother Jeff, I want to get more involved in the church. And I reached up and patted him on his heart. I mean, he was that big. I said, Brother Joe, before you can get more involved, you need to practice the ministry of show up. You know, that Cajun looked back at me and he said, you know, you're right, Brother Jeff. And he did. And his wife did. And they could become relied upon and counted on, and they took more and more leadership and had an impact in the church. But the hit and miss that he was doing was not qualifying him to be a leader in the church, but he took the counsel. I'm glad he did because he was big. But he took the counsel and became impactful in the church by practicing the ministry of show up. It matters that you show up. 
It matters for you and for others that you show up. Look forward to seeing you when you show up. And do the work of the ministry here so that you're equipped to do the work of the ministry next, wherever you go next. It's a war that we must win. As we do the work of the ministry, starting Sunday school units and starting ministry and doing Bible school across our convention, starting churches and starting ministries that reach into groups of people that would not otherwise be reached by conventional means. It is our war that we must win. Because here's the thing that's important about this war that Jesus talks about. The strategy for winning the war that is it is different than any other war. Notice that I said all the way through this parable that the enemy is Satan. The enemy is not the 20,000 men. Because in the rest of the story, the king sends a delegation to the 20,000 to bring peace. That peace is waging peace, not war, not killing, not destruction, but waging peace because the 20,000 need to be included with the 10,000, need to come under the leadership of the king. And the truth of it is, whether they know it again or not, on the opposite side of the battleground, the best thing that could ever happen to them is to wage peace and come into the camp with the 10,000 by the message of the gospel. The 10,000 delegate does not concede anything in order to bring peace to the 20,000. There's no concession made with the gospel. There's no watering down of the gospel. There's no conditions that are less than the primary conditions of the gospel in order to bring about peace. The gospel is the gospel and it never will change. But it's good for the 10,000 and it's good for the 20,000 because God sent Jesus, his son, and he created people in the world that all would be born into the kingdom, that all would be born again. And as hard as it is for me to say it today, even the Sam Smiths who offend God on national TV are worthy of forgiveness. It's a different kind of war. It's a war that wages peace, that brings people together just like my grandson. Oh, that we would get in the fight. Oh, that we would be winners. Oh, that people who are rescued from the throes of Satan himself would win, be one to Christ in baptism and membership into his church. I may have mentioned to you that my wife started a home for girls in India. I hope to um, introduce you a little bit more of that in later months. But my wife started a home for orphan girls in India. And one of the girls that came into the home about 10 years ago is a little girl named Monisha. Monisha, I'm not sure which way you say it. She was thrown into the fire to be burned by her father and attempted to be killed along with her sister and the mother as well. They were rescued from the fire and rescued into our home. And when she came into the home, I have a beginning picture of her somewhere in my files. Most wretched, horrible, angry, dead-eyed little girl you could ever see. Just, you can imagine. Angry at the world, just chew you up and spit you out before anything. We got a message the other day from our pastor in India that Monisha 
tall, lanky, beautiful, 15, 16-year-old young lady now, and just a smile from here to here, was awarded second place in the speech and English uh, presentation in the district. She spoke on the empowerment of women. 200,000 children live in this district. And this mean and angry, abused child is now becoming this radiant child of God, standing for a cause of women in a country that doesn't regard women very highly. What a beautiful message of God through the life of this young child. Oh, some naysayer might say, well, it's just one child. There's two billion people in India. What difference can that make? You heard the story about the starfish that landed on the beach? The tide went out suddenly and it left the beach cluttered and littered with starfish. And a man came out and began to pick up starfish and throw them back in the water. Pick one up and throw it back in the water. A critic came out and said, what difference does it make? There's so many starfish. Made a difference to that one. Made a difference to one. Made a difference to one. You see, you and I are not called to win the world. But we have a responsibility to win the one. The monishes of the world, the friend that is across the fence from you, the neighbor, the family member, the nephew, whoever it might be, you and I are called to win the one. And it doesn't take a lot of ones to make a movement of souls, one into the kingdom. So I would ask you today, as you think about the war that we're invited to be in, who is your monisha? Who is your starfish? Who is your one? Today is the day to get up from this pew at the end of the day and go to that one and give them the gospel. They may not like what you have to say, but that's not the reason not to give the gospel. Jesus loves you. He changed my life and now I'm different is the simple message of the gospel. Who's your one? Who's the one you'll make a difference with? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son to be in the battle with us. That we're not alone, no matter how small a contingent we seem to be. We thank you that we are in a war that we can win because of the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus. And Jesus, we know personally in our lives and in our family, we know warriors that are in the battle motivated by Satan who need to be rescued from his army and brought into the company of peace through Jesus. Oh, that we would be the warriors to bring the message, to wage the war of peace with those who need the Savior. Lord, I pray that you would cause each one of us to be moved in our hearts, that you would put before our eyes the names of the one, that we need to be a part of making a difference, and that we would act, not rest, until we acted on that calling. Thank you for this church and the compassion it has for the souls of many as we reach people for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.